Good morning, Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? Man, hasn't it been wonderful worshiping our great God together? It really has been amazing. I told Jack, I said, this week, let's focus on the holiness of God. Uh, Let's focus on the reality that He is sinless. He is mighty. uh, He is holy. Scripture tells us, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's really important for us to understand this of a holy God, because today, in our continued study through 2 Corinthians, we're going to come to the point where God is going to tell us those of us by his grace who are his through the work of his son, he's going to tell us something crazy, amazing, and true. That we are, in Christ Jesus, the temple of the living God. The holy God, the one who is, who was, and always will be. He says that he has had such an amazing work in us that now he indwells us, this holy God. It's amazing we, we've looked together at this. This would really magnify what Paul has been telling us. Some really important, deep gospel truths. That sinners like us, those who are, are broken, those who continually stumble, those who think, say, and do the wrong thing over and over again, that we have been reconciled. Listen to this. We have been reconciled to a holy God in Christ Jesus. That, that he looks at us right now and he can say, not guilty. I mean, amazingly, in God's court of law, he would look at us and forever say, they're mine. They're not guilty. I'm going to make my home with them. How could he do this? Well, let me remind you, a few weeks ago, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5.21. that tells us that God took him, the holy God, took him, the holy son, who knew no sin, The one who was the obedient son. The one who was truly holy from birth. He took Jesus to become sin. More than that, he took Jesus to become our sin. So that in Christ Jesus, this amazing exchange has taken place. That we could become, you ready for this? The holiness of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, more than just man's holiness, we now, through God's grace and the work of Jesus have been given the holiness of God. And as Paul is unpacking this for us, he tells us even more than just his reconciliation, that we now have a partnership with God, that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. You sometimes wonder, God, are you really reconciling this world? Man, is it messed up. Man, but he says that he is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, no longer counting our sins against us because he placed them on Jesus. And that through us, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. So because we're reconciled with God in Christ, wow, and because we have a partnership with God in Christ to reconcile the world, he now says that this right now is the season of God's favor. This right now is the day of salvation. Last week we looked at that a little bit. Really, we wanted to say? Really, right now is the season of God's favor. If uh, you remember last week, if you were here, I mentioned that one of our own, one of our precious little ones, Asher Thomas, a week ago Friday was diagnosed with ALL, a type of leukemia. By God's grace, treatable leukemia. But he's got a long journey in front of him. 
So I want to give you a quick report. Uh, he had surgery on, on Monday and they were able to successfully put a port into that young body uh, that will administer the medicine uh, that would, Lord willing, bring healing to him. That went well. He's already started his chemo treatment. Seems to be responding well by God's grace. Uh, I love to see what God is doing in Jackie, uh, the mom, and, and Don's life. As I saw her this week, she talked about the peace of God. I mean, the peace of God that passes understanding for a mom to hug her little boy going through these treatments. And we are reminded again that by our God's great grace, we really have been reconciled. This really is the season of God's favor. But today, God's going to call us to look at our lives and say, now because of all of this, there's even more uh, that we are now the dwelling place with God. The place where God and man dwell together is right inside of us as our bodies of those of us who are his, the temple of God, and is that we together collectively are the church, are the body of Christ. And because of that reality, there's certain things we got to make sure we keep out, and there's certain things we got to make sure we keep in and keep pure. So if you'll join me in prayer, let's pray together before we turn to 2 Corinthians 7 verses 14 through 7-1. Let's pray together. Oh, holy, holy, holy are you our great God. God, your holiness is magnificent. Man does not have words to describe your greatness, your sinlessness, your beauty, and your perfection. And Father, who are we to darken your court? Who are we to step into your presence, the holy God of the universe? And who are we to come boldly? We are yours. We're your sons. We're your daughters. We're those that God has made righteous in Christ Jesus. You see us holy and blameless in him. God, you've come in such a marvelous, amazing way to walk with us, to indwell us, to tell your story through us, to make our very lives, our very bodies, the temple, the dwelling place of a holy God. It's so, it's almost more than we can wrap our mind around. So come and be teacher. Come and explain to us how this could be for your glory, for the purity of the church, for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In the late 80s, there was a sociologist by the name of Ray Oldenburg, and he wrote what became a pretty influential book called The Great Good Place. In this, the sociologist says that for society to be successful... For society to be healthy, what we need in our lives are three places. The first place, a home. A home for us, our relatives, a place that really gives us our identity and meaning. The second place is the workplace. And and he rightfully points out, do you know that that's where we spend the majority of our time? And he talked about a third place. He says, there's this third place that really is like an anchor of the community life. It facilitates and fosters broader and more creative interaction. That for society to be successful, we need places that we could go where everybody knows your name. 
Well, the, the uh, owners of Starbucks jumped on that and said, let's uh, maybe create a, a third place, a place that you could go and, and socialize and hang out. And, and man, is that blossom and become reality. And I, I think back, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but I think about some of the TV shows over the last decade or two, a place like Cheers, where everybody knows your name. Everybody's just glad you came. Uh, a place in Seinfeld, like that little neighborhood cafe uh, where they can always just hang out and, and catch up together. Or maybe in Friends, that central perk together. God's word is going to tell us something unbelievably amazing about our very lives, our very existence. Is that God wants to create in us a type of third space. In our very lives, he wants our bodies our souls, our minds to be the anchor of his message, to be the place in community that will bring his eternal change through the gospel. Amazing. He wants to create in us this third place. This is such good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it already has reconciled us and made us partners with Jesus. And now he goes even a step further and says, You will be the temple of the living God. Let me give you a little bit of context as we turn to 2 Corinthians 6, uh, pick up in verse 14. Right, what's happening at the end of that uh, last week's passage, 12 through 14, is there was a heart issue in the church at Corinth. They were having an issue with their hearts. It doesn't happen to us, does it? And really what happened with their hearts is they they were partnering with the world. They were forming partnerships with what the world had to offer and their hearts were becoming hard. They were polluting their lives, their bodies. They were polluting their church for what they were embracing, what the world has to offer. And so what Paul is telling us, is, says, listen, I mean, widen your heart to the truth of the gospel. Widen your heart to God because this is who you are in Christ Jesus. Let me also set the context of this passage that goes to the greater story of the Bible, an amazing story of the truth of who God is. Do you know that God made you for himself? Do you know that God made you in his image to know and love him and to be known and loved by him? Do you know that it's God's desire from the very beginning to be a God, listen to this, who walks with his people in the cool of the day. A God who will continually be with us and love us and call us to himself. Even before we look at the text, I got to tell you the good news about God, what he desires, he gets. And what God has longed for is that you and I would walk with him. He will make a reality. Let me also tell you this. What God requires, God provides. We're going to see the beautiful thing that God who requires perfection and holiness and how he has given that to us in Christ Jesus. So let's turn to God's word. Let's look at, pick up right where we left off in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Let's be mindful that Paul is talking to a specific church at a specific time about a specific heart issue. But because Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's talking to you and he's talking to me. No matter who you are, you're here by design, and God wants to speak to you through his holy and living word. So let's read it together. I'll read it uh, aloud. You can read silently. I'll 
comment as we go along. God's word says this. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Maybe your, your uh, text says this. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul's using an imagery uh, of a, a couple of cattle in a field plowing with a yoke over them. He's reminding us, remember, that we are in partnership with God. We've been reconciled to God. Therefore, we should not be in partnership or teamed up or yoked together with unbelievers. Then he's going to ask us five rhetorical questions. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? I have to pause here for a moment and just remind us Hey, how are we righteous in God's eyes? Is it because we come to church? Is it because we've been baptized? Is it because we read our Bibles? Is it because we tithe? Is it because we're good Christians that we're righteous? Eh. We are righteous by God's grace solely through the work of His Son. It's been imputed to us. It's been given to us by God's grace. The righteousness of God right now robes us. And holy God can look at us and say, they are mine, they are beautiful, they're cleansed, and they're holy, all because of Jesus. So listen, church, we are called not to partner with those who are wicked, but we have to remember, by only by the grace of God are we not wicked. And the only righteousness we have in his eyes is the righteousness that God has given us that will uh, qualify us. We are to work out our salvation. So therefore, the church should not be in partnership with the wicked, but we certainly should have a heart for them. But by the grace of God, there we go. It says, how can light live with darkness? Scripture also tells us that by nature, just by being born in a sinful world with a sinful nature, by nature we're children of darkness, children of wrath. And that John's gospel will tell us that, that God, the eternal word, became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that he came and he, he stepped into the darkness. He battled darkness. It didn't understand him, but it didn't conquer him. And he came as the light of the world. And he says, now in me, you could be children of light. No more darkness. There is no fellowship between light and darkness that our lives should be filled with God's light. He says, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Of course, none. How can a believer be partnered with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple? Look at what he calls us here. God's temple and idols. For we are the temple, the dwelling place of the living God. And God said, and he will give us a list of verses that God said. Let me read them to you and explain them in just a moment. He said this, God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Do not touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons, and ladies, listen to this, and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The first reading of this, we're going to get to 7-1 in a minute. The first reading of this, you will probably think, hey, that's a pretty cool quote. 
where could I go and find that quote of the Old Testament that says the Lord says these things? And he wants to walk with us, be with us, be our God, dwell with us. It's very, very interesting. Because really what this is, is this is a verse sandwich. There's not one spot that God has said this. Paul, amazingly inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to give us a theme of the Bible. God's desire to walk with us. The first part of that is quoted in Leviticus 26, right on Mount Sinai. And he says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. But you guess what? What follows right after that? As long as you don't mess up, as long as you're holy, it was conditional. And then we get, he quotes Ezekiel, a prophet of the Old Testament, and, and, and Jeremiah and Isaiah, who said that a new relationship with God is coming, a new covenant where we'll walk with him and know him and, and be his people, and he will be our God. And now Paul says that is a reality in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me try to tie this together because it's very, very important. God is a holy God, and he can't wink at sin. And God desires to walk with us, but the only way he could walk with us if we're a holy people. The only way he could do it. And God wants to dwell with us, and the only way he could dwell with us if we are a chosen holy people. And all, listen, all the promises of God's word, all the promises that from the garden, from the tabernacle, the temple of God being with us, are fulfilled in Christ Jesus They are all true. So right now, the reality is we are the temple of the living God by God's grace in Christ Jesus. We can, we do walk with God right now in Christ Jesus. So the beautiful thing that Paul did through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was to show us this this longing of God to be with us ever since time began. And he points us to Jesus and says it was all fulfilled in him. Do you know that what God requires, God provides? Isn't that amazing about God? Listen, what God requires, God provides. Holy God requires holiness, provides it in Jesus. Holy God requires a sacrifice for sin, provides it in Jesus. Holy God requires us to be in him for us to be the temple of the God. He provides it. Rejoice, church of the living God. What God has done for us and who we are in Christ Jesus. And now the reality is in him. Yes, we're reconciled. Yes, we're in partnership. But we're the temple of God. God, we're the aroma of Christ. He, he wants to tell a story through us. He wants the world to see that this now is the place where God and man meet together in Christ Jesus to tell a story. And because of that, there's a reality. There are things that we must keep out of the temple and there are things that we must make sure are in the temple and that we re- remain pure. Let's look at that second point. Because we are the temple of the living God, we should not be in partnership with unbelievers. He makes it very clear. It's a very difficult thing. We should be loving unbelievers. We should lead with grace and mercy, but we should not be in partnership with them. I'm going to break that down for you in a few different categories. First and foremost, marriage, your most important earthly relationship. In the letter before this uh, that Paul had written, 1 Corinthians, it makes it very clear that believers are not to be unequally yoked in marriage to unbelievers. That God has called us to be like mind. 
It's amazing how different men and women can be, but one thing that God wants us to make sure that we are in agreement on is that we are together, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. I know for many of you who are married, let me talk just for a moment to the young people. This means you shouldn't have missionary dating. I really believe that dating leads to marriage. And uh, God has called you to be yoked together with those of like mind. So young people, trust God. Look for those who will follow hard after Jesus. Some of you say, well, what does that mean to me? I'm already married and my spouse is not a believer. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 16. Let me encourage you to go there. But here's what Paul says. If you're, if you're married to an unbeliever, don't, don't leave them. Don't divorce them. Show them Jesus. Love them. And just as you are living there as the temple of the Holy God, you bring God's holiness into that marriage. Scripture says if only one child or one parent is a Christian, the child is holy. What a gracious God. Let me spend another minute just talking about those of you who are married to an unbeliever. You don't have to be Jesus. You just have to be someone in love with Jesus. I think sometimes some of you who are married to unbelievers just feel like you can't mess up. You can't, you know, that everything depends on you. Be someone ridiculously in love with Jesus, quick to ask for forgiveness. The reality is, is why is Jesus called a savior? Because we're broken sinners. Because we need a savior. Just be you. And just pray daily that God would be the aroma of Christ to your spouse through you. And hopefully they'll come to Christ. But partnership, partnership in marriage, do not be unequally yoked. Partnership in business. It's true that that second, uh, that second place that we spend most of our time is business. And God cares about you and me shining for him in the marketplace. And that we are not to be in partnership with unbelievers. Now, I think this means two things. One, for those of you that God has entrusted ownership of a business or maybe partnership of a business, I think you have a greater responsibility to make sure those that you are partnering with will not hinder the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your primary goal in business is not to make money, not to make a name for yourself, not to provide for your family. Those are secondary. Your primary goal in business is the same as it is in all of life, to glorify God. Therefore, in business, be careful of your partnerships. Now, some of you are employees, and some of you say, well, I I can't make those decisions up top. So what do you do then? I remember working for Paychex. I had love working for that payroll processing company here in Orlando before the ministry. Uh, we got most of our business by referrals. I got a referral one day, got the address, drove to the business location, looked at the number, pulled in the parking lot, strip joint. <laughs> I kind of panicked. What do I do? I called my pastor, Carl Smith at the time. And I called him and said, I'm here, I got a lead, and I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm supposed to give them payroll. I guess strippers need payroll too, I I guess, but what do I do? He said, well, you you don't own the business. Get in there, get the sale, tithe, and get out of there as fast as you can. (laughs) I got to tell you, are we not seeing what partnership in business is doing in our community, in our world? I mean, this Chick-fil-A thing? All right, how many people seen the YouTube of that girl being bullied 
uh, by a CFO and uh, uh, apparently some kind of speaker. If you haven't seen it, go home and Google it. The amazing thing is, is the girl who does a phenomenal job. This guy pulls in the drive-thru and wants to film um, this getting a free water and this film uh, saying, how can this company be so hateful? And the girl that he films went to Orange One. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's Susie Chiaro's sister. And so, um, unbelievable, she goes out to Arizona or wherever they are, and there she is. I'm thinking, I know that girl. That's amazing, standing up for Christ. I got to tell you, as your pastor, I, I have never felt more the fact as a church needs to stand up for truth. And listen, in our lives, and our businesses, to stand up. Let me tell you something. Don't be surprised that it's what's happening. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Disciples, the world hates me. They absolutely hate me. I know I'm love. And I know I've come to give my life for sinners. They hate me. They hate my message. And guess what he told his disciples? They're going to hate you too. They're going to hate you. If you're my disciples, they're going to hate you. And the crazy thing about this knucklehead going through Chick-fil-A, he used the word hate. You're such haters. You're such haters. And all he was doing was hating. Stand up. Keep this temple pure. Our partnerships in life and in business, uh, in life. Let me ask you, what are you partnering in life? What are the memberships you're involved in? You, you, listen, you're the temple of the holy God, Christian. What memberships do you have? What associations, what affiliations in life? God is calling us to keep pure the temple. What memberships, associations, affiliations do you have just on the internet? And then in church, you know that Satan loves to start from the inside out and defile the church. And God has called us to keep it pure. And I got to tell you, the church has such pressure to partner with the world. Listen, we're called to love the world. I think we should be the leaders of loving the world. And they should identify us by love. But we shouldn't partnership with those who can't proclaim the good news of Christ. We got to be very, very careful who we partner with. In Skinny Atlas, New York, this is an amazing, beautiful Episcopal church that's right on the end of the lake, right there in Skinny Atlas. And it's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. It kind of faces out at the lake. It's beautiful. And every time I go on vacation and go, into a, uh, go see a church, guess what? I'm going inside. Because I preach in a gym, and I have such sanctuary envy, you wouldn't believe it, you know? And so I'm going to go and just see the beauty of these places and dream. Man, look at this place. And oftentimes, I'm not kidding you, oftentimes I go in the pulpit and start preaching. Because I'm not sure the gospel is being preached. I want to preach. And I remember the, uh, the pastor, she came out and she met me and she was very kind and gave me a tour. Very, very pleasant woman. I just felt led to say, can I pray for you? And I prayed for her and, and, and she prayed for me. And I said, isn't your denomination right now having a general assembly kind of thing? And aren't you guys, why aren't you guys wrestling with some pretty big issues? I'm telling you, what they're partnering with now is an agenda that's not God's agenda. What they're partnering with now is, is really not any part of God's word. And, and, and the church is being defiled. And we, we listen, Orange, we've got to be a place together and, and individually that stands up for God's word and stands up for truth. And yes, lead with love, lead with mercy. But God's word's God's word. And God's way's God's way. And we are the temple of living God. And we've got to be the ones who lead with love but stand for truth. You know, she, she told me, she said, you know, we got this cool communion thing. What we're doing is we're doing communion once a month outside. 
And we say to everybody, come on, just take communion. We don't care what you are doing. We don't care where you've been. Uh, All we want you to do is take communion. And you know what? On the surface, that sounds pretty cool and loving and nice. But really, if you examine God's word, it's wrong. Because what they're doing is saying, this is a partnership. This table, this meal signifies that we are in partnership with God. That we understand that for us to be in partnership with God, it cost Jesus his life. And now he has made us the temple of the living God and we're to purify ourselves. Scripture says we can't take this table in an unworthy manner. It says some people have died for doing it in an unworthy manner. They were to purify ourselves, examine ourselves. And, and I understand a partnership that says everybody come and it doesn't matter what you're, how you're living. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Just come is not biblical. The most loving thing that we can tell our neighbors is, yes, Jesus has died for sinners like you. And he's called you to himself and come to him by his grace through faith and let him purify you. But until you partner with God, don't take the meal that says you have. How is it with you? What are you partnering with in your life? Because you and I, we are the temple of the living God. Because we're the temple of the living God, not only you have to watch our partnerships, we should cleanse ourselves from all of our defilement. Get rid of anything that will defile our body and spirit. Sometimes I think, God, what would I have left? <laughs> Jesus. He says that we are to work toward complete holiness. And this is, this is the last thought I have for you. We, we, we're going to work toward complete holiness. And, and listen, you've got to lean into this because this is unbelievably fantastic. That does it mean to me and to you that we are now saved by God's grace and work really hard to get holy? That we're supposed to work really hard to make ourselves right and acceptable to God? I thought we already were. Everything God requires, God provides, right? And I tell you, perfect holiness is not in question for those of us who are his. It's coming. We're going to get it. And it has nothing to do with how much you tithe, nothing to do with your own righteousness. It has to do with the completed work of Jesus Christ and God's promises. That he will make us completely and fully holy one day in Christ Jesus. It says this in Hebrews 10, 14, that through one sacrifice, God has forever made perfect. Do you hear that? God has forever made perfect. Wow. Those who are being made holy. That's us. There is a mystery. Philippians 2 says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we are to work to become more like Jesus, be imitators of Christ. That is truly our calling. But I want you to know, ultimately, our hope isn't in us working out our Salvation and fear and trembling. It's what that verse says at the conclusion, but it's God who works and wills in us to accomplish his purpose. You know what my hope is? I've told you this before, I'm telling you it again. God's grip on me and God's grip on you. Our God is holy and in Christ Jesus, he's made us holy. In Christ Jesus, he's called us and he will keep us. And now may we do all we can to cleanse ourselves from defilement, but have our hope that it, will God, it is God and God alone who will keep us holy. The Lord's Supper, this communion is a tangible, you will touch it with your hands today, you will taste it with your tongue. It's a tangible reminder about being the temple of God. 
Remember the cost of reconciliation, the broken bread, the broken body of Christ, the juice, the wine, the poured out blood of Jesus Christ. Remember the cost of reconciliation. Proclaim today, those of you who are his, proclaim today to one another, to the heavenly realms, your partnership with God. This is what this meal does. But also examine, examine your partnerships with the world and what needs to be cleansed. This is God's opportunity he gives us to say, you're mine, I love you, I've reconciled you. I'm gonna clean you up. Examine your heart because I wanna tell my love story through you. Let's pray. Father God, the story of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel is unbelievably joyous that you have reconciled us to yourself in Christ Jesus. That, Lord, that you have made us partners with Jesus to reconcile the world. And that right now we are the temple of the living and holy God. Father, for your renown and your glory and your beauty, would you come and purify us today? Father, would you just love us enough to just show us the partnerships that are just eating us up from the inside out? and that are just keeping your message from being clearly seen. I thank you that you choose to use broken vessels, and I thank you for your grace and mercy that will ultimately complete its work and make us holy. And I thank you for this meal that reminds us tangibly of what you've done. And God, I pray that you'd come and feed us through the power of your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.